This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice... Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Poem by Jaludan Rumi Valeria Tellis interviews Norman E. Rosenthal, the author of Poetry Rx, How 50 Inspiring Poems Can Heal and Bring Joy to Your Life. Norman E. Rosenthal, MD, is a clinical professor of psychiatry at Georgetown Medical School, and was the psychiatrist who first described seasonal affective disorder and pioneered the use of light in its treatment during his 20 years at the National Institute of Mental Health. He has researched other innovative psychiatric treatments and is the author of several books, including the New York Times bestseller, Transcendence, Healing and Transformation Through Transcendental Meditation, and the national bestseller, Supermind. He currently maintains a private clinical and coaching practice in the Maryland suburbs of Washington, D.C., his work has earned him national and international attention in the world of psychiatry and psychology, as well as in the media. Meet Norman at normanrosenthal.com. Here's the interview with Norman E. Rosenthal. In your own words, who is Norman E. Rosenthal? Well, first and foremost, I'm a human being. I know that's a little redundant as you don't have animals on your show. But <laughs> Not yet. I am just a person. Uh, and so rather than to start with all my credentials, let's begin where we all are uh, as humans interacting with one another, communicating with one another. But on top of that, I'm a psychiatrist. I'm a researcher uh, and a writer. And um that is how I think of myself when I think of my calling in life. Calling, that's um, an interesting idea. Would you call it also this, what you do and who you are, a purpose, the meaning in a purpose of your life to do and be who you are? It is part of my purpose. A lot of my purpose is to be a good person to those in my life. But I think beyond that, in my professional life, Everything I've done has been to try and make life better for other people, whether it's working directly with them as a doctor, 
whether it's researching a subject that may uh, help them help large numbers of people, or whether it's writing, because I can't communicate one-on-one with everybody. It's a way of multiplying whatever I have to say. When you say good person, how would you describe that? What is to be a good person? Well, the first thing is not to be a bad person. That's already challenge number one. No meanness, no deceitfulness, no harming of other people. But beyond that, it's an attempt to just be a little kind to the people you come across in your daily life in one way or another, to try and just make other people's lives a little bit better. If we all tried to make other people's lives a little bit better, the world would be a much better place. I usually say to uncomplicate. Yeah, I like the idea of simplicity, which aligns with kindness. For some reason, they come together. My third official question to you, the open part of the open questions, is what is to be mentally healthy? How would you describe that state? Would that be a destination or it's always changing? Well, people have struggled with this. I know Freud said to work and to love. Yeah. I would also say to play because I think that life, if you're a healthy person, life should be joyful. And many of us, of course, have got obstacles that prevent us from being as joyful as we would like to be. But I think that... Uh, Being a good person, uh, being a joyful person, embracing this very brief window of time that we all have uh, fully, that's to be healthy. Oh, I love that you include play, yeah, the component of playfulness. I agree, we take ourselves too seriously. I know that. And that kind of brings me to the question of trauma and emotional wounds. How do we learn to identify them, Norman? Well, I think oftentimes we, it's like, how do you know that you've hurt yourself physically? Yeah. You feel the pain. Yeah. You see the swelling. Right. You see something that is out of line, that is out of where it ought to be. And I think the same happens at an emotional level. You feel sad, you feel hurt, you feel yeah. injured. Yeah. Uh, you find yourself behaving in strange ways that yeah. don't help you, but make life worse for you. Yeah. And then begins a journey of inquiry. If you're a thoughtful person, you say, what's going on here? Yeah. What's happening? How can I understand it? And how can I make it better? Or how can I get the help from someone else who can make it better or help me make it better? That is so true. It's in a way, the way you compare physical pain to emotional pain, that they are very similar, which means we all know when we are in pain and suffering. But some of us choose not to look for help and we become stuck. Like in my case, I was stuck for a long time with emotional pain. And so I wonder what drives some of us to become curious, to look for healing, to engage in healing itself and look for help. Have you found some commonalities? I, I love the word curious. I think curiosity is such an underappreciated quality. But I think curiosity is what drives us to find solutions to problems. Uh, in so many ways, like I, I recall when I came to the United States from South Africa, 
I found that I was slowed down and, and down in the wintertime. And that had never happened in South Africa. So I was curious, what was it that was having that effect on me? And it turned out that um, it was the lack of light. And that led to a major strain in my um, career path and a major stream in my career path. And so in that regard, the curiosity didn't kill the cat, it cured mm -hmm. the cat. <laughs> yes, that's wonderful to hear. <laughs> and that's one of my questions actually I had here for later one, Norm, but um, I'll ask you now. So talk to me for a moment about that discovery of light. Do you call it light therapy? Yes, yes, I do. Well, that certainly was one of the most exciting episodes of my life. And it was an, a sustained episode of realizing that I had a problem that I hadn't had in South Africa, getting with a group where they were working on biological rhythms and light, and then finding an index patient whom I was able to treat with light, uh, along with my colleagues. And then exploring the question beyond that to find out that there are whole groups of people, millions of people who have the problem and who could benefit from that same treatment. So that was several decades of my life researching it, treating people with the problem I still do, treating myself. And um, it was extremely joyful and exciting. And in a couple of the poems, actually, and I know I'm crossing your various bar barriers here, in a couple of the poems in my Poetry Rx book, I talk about how these poems were very meaningful to me at various points in that discovery journey, because they validated for me certain experiences that I had as part of my research quest. How does it work, the light therapy? What is the effect of, of light in the brain? How it changes the brain? The light hits the eyes, and from the eyes, signals go back to the brain to certain emotional areas that correct the underlying problems in the brain. And uh, so that's what's happening at the level of the brain. Uh, we still uh, debate what are the neurotransmitters or those little chemicals that the brain uses to communicate with, what are the chemicals that are involved. But at the level of the mind, there is an increase in energy and improvement in mood and all the symptoms that are so typical of, of um, seasonal affective disorder, including carbohydrate craving and overeating and weight gain. All of those can respond to this therapy with a light. What kinds of lights do you use? Are they specific ones or we can use any kind of light to engage in this therapy ourselves? Nowadays, they have a variety of good light sources that can be used therapeutically. You want to be sure that it gives enough light, but that it does so in a safe way. So... There are many available commercial lights that are marketed specifically for this reason. And in fact, uh, that's what I would recommend. Does it replace the sun, Norman? It doesn't, right? Those well, lights. It, 
it takes up some of the functions that the sun has. Right. You know, nothing's quite like the sun, is it? Right, right. But it is a good enough substitute to make a big difference to people's lives. Let me see. I have one more question for you, the warm-up questions. The purpose of the human experience, what do you think that is? Well, I think it's very interesting because you can think of a purpose in terms of what is your purpose or my purpose. And I think that way we can define purpose. But I think we can also think of what is the purpose of human beings as a collective humanity presence. And I think the, the biggest purpose is not to kill ourselves, not to wipe out our environment, not to destroy ourselves through these terrible heat waves or storms, not to kill each other in war. So I think just surviving is an accomplishment because we've been a very destructive group of uh, animals because um, many, many years ago, uh, 21 hominids, human-type animals, roamed the earth. And now only one of those species survives, and that's ours. You could say we've triumphed over the others, or you can say we've destroyed the others. So I think just surviving is is the biggest purpose. Uh, and in our individual lives, we hopefully will do a lot more than that. Yeah, a lot more than surviving. That's true. And what do you think is the cause for that? What has caused human beings to become so destructive? I think that to some extent, aggression has paid off. Uh, tribal aggression has given us one tribe an advantage over another. Uh, but I think that when the aggression gets out of hand, it uh, endangers everybody. That uh, makes me think, yeah, when you say aggression, about males, more than females. Will that be the case? I think so, because testosterone is feeds aggression. Testosterone feeds aggression. And that's been shown in a number of different ways in humans and other animals. But um, I think you might agree that we men do not have monopoly on aggression. And um, there are aggressive men and aggressive women. And sometimes the aggressive women might show their aggression in different ways. Like, for example, destroying someone else's social network by putting nasty things out on the internet about them. That's another form of aggression that, you know, may be more typical of women. I don't know that for a fact, but yeah. I'm just wanting to say that there are different ways of being aggressive. Yeah, and that's true. I did hear this before that we are, women are as aggressive as men, but we tend not to express in the same way. You wrote the book, Poetry Rx, how 50 inspiring poems can heal and bring joy to your life. Talk to me about the main inspiration and intention of writing this book. Well, like most of my books, it comes from within, in that poetry has for many years been a source of comfort, consolation, and delight for me. And I think that poetry's got a bad rap, if you'll excuse the pun. Yeah, poetry's got a bad rap as being old-fashioned, boring, difficult, obscure. And yet to me, it's always had uh, a compelling resonance and meter and rhyme and engendered all these wonderful feelings inside me that I wanted to share with other people. 
So I chose 50 poems that I think really embody the power of poetry to heal and bring joy to people's lives. And then I set each one up, firstly the poem, then a little essay on what the poem tells me and may tell you, and some takeaway points. And finally, a little bio sketch that connects the poet with a poem. So this I do with the 50 poems and people don't have to read it through from cover to cover. They can snack on it, so to speak, and just enjoy it. And a lot of people have done just that. They read a couple of chapters a day or whenever, and some people have it next to their nightstand. It's not to say a perfect book to put you to sleep, but <laughs> it's a perfect point, a book to read when you're going to sleep because it's a gentle book. As one of my friends said when we were talking about how we handled the pandemic, she said, it's really been like a friend for me during the pandemic, which I thought was a lovely thing to say. I love the way you say that too. Yeah, it's a, it's a gentle book and it is. Yeah, poems, that's, um, it really resonates to me when you say that. It's a uh, Poems, they are kind, they are gentle, right? They tell the truth in profound ways, but with so much grace. In the beginning of the book, you have a description or some notes on how to benefit from a poem. So talk to me about that for a moment. How do we read, learn to benefit from a poem? Because sometimes, yeah, we just rush through, and it has been my case. But talk to me about that, Norman, the best way to use a poem. The first thing is you can read it aloud. Yeah. Read it yourself, listen to other people reading it on the internet, including the poets themselves. Read it more than once. You'll be surprised how you find layer upon layer of meaning coming through when you read it more than once. Experience it with your whole body. It's a, it's a whole body experience. I say, you know, it's no more an intellectual experience than having a scoop of ice cream. You, you enjoy it with your full body and also bring your own experience to bear in terms of understanding and interpreting the poem. What does it say to you? Um, in a way, your interpretation is more important than mine or anybody else's. And, you know, this has really been uh, pointed out um, by other people. And um, I, I quote it here. Um, I quote Dee Snyder from the band Twisted Sister, who said, the beauty of literature, poetry and music is that they leave room for the audience to put its own imagination, experiences and dreams into the words. So, Bring something of yourself to the poem and you will get more out of it. I love the poem, The Guest House. That's my favorite. Oh, oh it's wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> yes. I'm so glad you like it. I love it. So I would love for you to <clears throat> not just talk about the poet and the poem, but also recite it. That would be a gift to all of us. Oh, it's a it's a joy every time I can read it. Ah, yeah. I love it all over again. So ah, here we go. <laughs> yeah. The Guest House by Jalaluddin Rumi. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. 
welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Wow, I love that. <laughs> it really resonates um, with me for some reason. Um, yeah, talk to me about what is your interpretation of this poem, Norm? A lot of poems, like a lot of literature, emphasize the importance of accepting reality. But this goes a step further and it says, don't just accept it, welcome it. <laughs> yes. These aren't just bad things that you have to tolerate. There are lessons from beyond. Make the most out of them. I, I wrote another book, a memoir called The Gift of Adversity. And that book really taken a lot from my own life is that when things go wrong, sometimes it's a gift. Sometimes you learn more from that than whenever things go right. So when the malice, the shame, whatever bad thing comes your way, learn from it, use it, make something out of it. It doesn't have to be a red letter or a badge of shame. It can be a badge of courage. You know, it makes me reflect upon unconditional love. That's what it is. Holding that space for everything to just be as they are. Being aware of that within ourselves then opens that door to be that way with everything, with life itself, with other situations. But it has to start here first with our own thoughts. So that's why it resonates with me. Having this, this human being is a guest house, and it is. Thoughts, emotions, feelings... What are thoughts to you, Norm? Yeah, have you thought about or talked about thoughts and what they yeah, are? Yeah, you know, there are three great domains of the mind. There's thinking, feeling, and acting. And in fact, there's one poem in this collection called The Waking, which connects these three domains very beautifully. And uh, I really do commend it. It's a wonderful It's a wonderful synthesis of thinking, which is ideas, feeling, emotions, and acting. How do those three great domains work together? Are they always in alignment with one another, or sometimes they are just completely disconnected? I think the latter, you know. I think that when you're living a happy life, they're in alignment. When they're out of alignment, not so much happiness. You also wrote, oh, there's another, actually another poem caught my attention. It's called the, There is a Certain Slant of Light by Emily Dickinson. That also caught my attention a lot. Oh, God, I love that poem. You see, that was one of the poems that people, when I first described seasonal affective disorder, people were telling me, oh, it doesn't exist. You're making it up. And then somebody sent me a letter. And I opened the letter and out of the letter tumbled this beautiful poem by Emily Dickinson, which totally validated the concept. Do we have time for me to read it? Yes, please. Please, Norm. Yes. 
There's a certain slant of light, winter afternoons, that oppresses like the heft of cathedral tunes. Heavenly hurt it gives us. We can find no scar, but internal difference where the meanings are. None may teach it, any. Tis the seal, despair, and imperial affliction sent us of the air. When it comes, the landscape listens, shadows hold their breath. When it goes, tis like the distance on the look of death. So there we are, the slant of light on winter afternoons. She saw it long before the scientists did. <laughs> yeah. How did you select these poems, Norm? Because there are so many out there. But why these 50 specifically? You know, these are ones that have influenced my thinking, my life, other people's lives whom I know, people who brought poems to my attention. And there are many more, even as I come across new ones, I think, oh, my God, I missed that one. I missed this one. And I need to write another book. But in the meanwhile, we'll just stick with this one, right? Yeah, true. Do you have a favorite, all-time favorite? Well, the guest house comes pretty close. But the one that got me into this book is so, so wonderful. It's called One Art. And uh, that was the one that actually started me on my course of saying, these poems are really medicine. It's Elizabeth Bishop. And it's a villanelle, which is very intricate, beautiful structure that you'll hear. The art of losing isn't hard to master. So many things seem filled with the intent to be lost, that their loss is no disaster. Lose something every day, accept the fluster of lost door keys, the hour badly spent. The art of losing isn't hard to master. Then practice losing farther, losing faster. Places and names and where it was you meant to travel. None of these will bring disaster. I lost my mother's watch and look, my last or next to last of three loved houses went. The art of losing isn't hard to master. I lost two cities, lovely ones, and vaster, some realms I owned, two rivers, a continent. I miss them, but it wasn't a disaster. Even losing you, the joking voice, a gesture I love, I shan't have lied. It's evident the art of losing's not too hard to master, though it may look like, write it, like disaster. Yeah, that's grace, the art of losing. Then grief. I interview a lot of people. My own family have so many people who suffer, let's say, or are still in pain because of grief. What is your message for those who are struggling with grief? I have grief in two, in two parts. Uh, the first section is called Loving and Losing. And the losing part has several poems that deal with grief directly. And then the last section of the book, it's got five sections, loving and losing, responses to nature, the human experience, a guide for living, and then into the night, that final stage. And of course, that's a stage of grieving, of grieving one's own life as we move towards the end of it. So the book encompasses all of these things. And, you know, someone said to me, 
do you really want to put sad poems in? And I said, we have to. That's what life, life is not just one jolly party. It's a very big mixture and lots of it is not so happy. And we have to represent the whole spectrum here. I love that. We're almost at the end and I do have a few more questions for you, Norma. I love your grace. I love the way you express yourself as a writer, as an author. You come across to me as an artist, really. (laughs) That's what it comes to me. Playful, meaningful, profound artist. Although I know you're a scientist, a doctor, but (laughs) you make me smile. (laughs) Thank you for that. Thank you. You know, I've always been this hybrid, this mixture of a scientist Mm, and an artist. (laughs) And I think in the earlier part of my life, I was more the scientist. And in the later part of my life, I'm more the artist. It really comes across that way. And now at this moment, yeah, it can be felt. I have these final questions uh, for you today. But before that, would you like to add anything or read any other poem in your book? You know... There's so many poems, but I think I must read one more villanelle. And it's on the theme of losing. And it's the very, very famous, Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night by Dylan Thomas, that beautiful, beautiful poem. Let me read it. To say goodbye to you and your guests, it seems like a good poem. Thank you. Yes. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end, no dark is right. Because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men, the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learn too late they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight, blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Ah, that gives me goosebumps. (laughs) It is a goosebump. (laughs) Provoking poem. Yeah, feelings um, arising. Wow, I love that. Do you recite these poems? Do you have um, like a retreat? Do you hold any meetings? You know, uh, I haven't. I'm open to that possibility. I'm just exploring. It's it's the beginning of an exploration. You, you know how when people go on an adventure and an exploration, they come across these wonderful people along the way? Well, you're one of those wonderful people. And uh, I'm encountering you on my journey and on my path. And uh, you never know where doors are going to open and paths are going to lead. That's one of the great adventures that life has to offer. It came to me like I could visualize that. 
It's very emotional. I mean, it's, it's profound the way you transmit the message in these poems. So yeah, maybe that's why I asked. I have a few more questions for you. And with that uh, last poem you read, I have to ask you this question. Do you believe in anything after life, life after death? You know, I believe we live on in the minds of the people around us. And if there is an afterlife, that's the kind of afterlife I believe in. And there are some poems in this collection that speak to that. The one is the beautiful poem Remember by Christina Rossetti. And the other is Do Not Stand at My Grave and Weep. And these talk about living on in the minds of other people. And if that's what happens with me, I will be happy <laughs> to know that. I mean, I won't know what's going on, but, but thinking about it makes me happy. How's that? <laughs> yeah, that's what matters, right? My last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? That it is precious, that it is fleeting, and that it must be treasured whether it's your own life or other people's lives, it is like a, a valuable elixir that must be treasured, enjoyed, embraced, loved, fostered, cared for. That's what I know about life. Yeah. I love your message. I love your presence. I love your message. I love your work. Thank you so much, Norm. Oh, thank you so much, Valeria. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Well, the best all-round source is my website, which is normanrosenthal.com. Um, there are several books. There are There's one on the winter blues, which is now in its fourth edition about seasonal affective disorder and how to prevent the winter from getting you down. There are two on meditation, transcendence and supermind, both uh, about transcendental meditation. My memoir is uh, The Gift of Adversity. And then uh, the final most recent book is Poetry Rx. Mm. So that's a lot of me. <laughs> yes. Probably more than anybody needs to know. Beautiful. I love your work again. Thank you so much for your presence and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Bye for now. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Norman E. Rosenthal and his work, please visit normanrosenthal.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.